Welcome to the Pretty Intense Podcast. Uh, today on the show is Dave Asprey. If you haven't heard of him, well, I'm shocked as he is known as the father of biohacking. And there's so many biohacking modalities out there now, even when it just comes to like hot and cold, right? Uh, but he founded Bulletproof Coffee. He is for sure a best-selling author. He's working on his fifth book right now. He started Upgrade Labs and he has the Human Upgrade podcast, which I've been on as well. Gosh, I don't even know where to start with this interview. I came up with a bunch of questions and I was like, they were all kind of like around the realm of nutrition and food. And I knew that there was like somewhere else that we, we should go that wasn't places that he normally goes in an interview. And that is exactly what happened. It was like, I, I just honestly think everyone should listen to this interview. Everyone should listen to this interview. The information is so like next level. Like this is how to this is how to organize your life at the next level. You want to be like upgraded, you want to be superhuman. Listen to this, make some notes, change your life. I don't even, I, I, that's all I can say is it has to do with how you live your life and science around it, which is so cool because it seems to me like we have these ideas about how things are supposed to go and then science kind of catches up. So that's kind of what he does. He's super tapped in spiritually. So get ready, like buckle up because this is a fantastic episode. Okay. Thank you for listening. Um, please hit the subscribe button hit the bell for notifications, and I'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments. What is up, Dave? How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. Hang on. I want to first start and uh, ask about your hair. What's up with the long hairdo? Is there uh, is there any significance or just, just want long hair? Uh, you know, there's a little bit of biohacker testing going on, to be honest, uh, but what? mostly I just wanted long hair. <laughs> okay, well, that's fine. But what about the first part you mentioned then? What's what would what would have I mean, all I've ever heard about long hair that would be significant uh, would be something like there's like a um, more of a spiritual link to longer hair, like Native Americans had long hair. It's some it's like almost like an antenna. It's like the only thing I've ever heard about long hair. Well, this actually goes back to a conversation I had with, with Rick Rubin. Uh, we were chatting about this, and it, it was about exactly that. In, in the oh. Vietnam War, um, they needed really good trackers in the military. And so they recruited um, indigenous people from the U.S. who knew how to track. And then they would get a military haircut, and they would lose their abilities. And the military was like, that doesn't make any sense. And the guys were like, no, seriously, my hair is part of this. And, of course, the military, being arrogant, wouldn't believe them. And finally, they said, okay, this has happened enough times. You just keep your long hair because it lets you still do what you do. So maybe there's something to it. But then you're covered in little hairs too, right? And we have this issue with EMF sensitivity, and we have more electromagnetic frequencies that are not natural in the world. So who knows? Maybe the right answer is that we should actually be removing body hair, uh, or maybe only having certain antenna length hair. I don't know the answer to that. I mostly just wanted long hair because, well, I didn't have long hair before. It just seemed like a good idea. Uh, plus it's low maintenance, which I really like. So you just like pull your hair back and then you do it. And since I do it right now, I'm doing 40 years of Zen neurofeedback uh, development and I'm testing it every morning, which means I'm gluing electrodes into my hair. So, and like I did an hour of meditation guided by our, our new software that that's um, about to be released. And so 
one five minutes after that, I had a podcast. So I just went in and like washed the little goopy electrode glue out of my hair and like pulled my hair back. I'm like, I'm good to go. So why would you not have long hair when you, it's either that or a buzz cut. And that just seemed like the wrong look for me. I agree. I had my hair short for a little while and I'm growing it out long again. Cause I always had like super long, dark hair. Oh yeah. And uh, then I had, um, you know, moments of short hair just to try kind of like your long hair maybe anyway it's so much easier when it's long it's so much easier when it's it shorter is. you actually have to do something to it is there a spiritual difference did you feel like more enlightened when your hair was longer or shorter uh i think i just feel more myself so i don't think that it's actually spiritual for me i feel pretty you know i when i want to tune in i feel like it's available um, it's not like there's always some transcendental experience every time, but you know, I feel tunable. Um, but when I guess longer, also, yeah, but tunable? also, but also yeah. my hair was never like guy length short. Right. So it's never like buzz cut. It was, you know, here at the shortest, you know, like, okay, got it. Sort of short, but just above the shoulders. So maybe it's different for girls. Cause we don't ever really, most girls don't really go super short. Um, mm, but yeah. I just feel more myself. And so the more myself I feel, I think is like just better for everything. Right. That's a, you, you definitely want to feel more yourself. And I know you're like super intuitive just cause <laughs> what, when we talked last time, I'm like, okay, so you, you, you pick up stuff and there's a reason you can do what you do so rapidly. Uh, so you're, I'm put you in the category of special people. Oh. <laughs> Uh, you. So you you probably would notice it more uh, than someone who just had never thought about it, uh, even just the fact you'd ask the question. And so then you feel like you know you're more yourself with long hair. That's the other thing with with hair. It, it's so tied in with like you see yourself in the mirror. You look totally different. So what I've done in the past, like I like when there was a major life change, like I don't know, I'll get a different haircut. Right. <laughs> right. And this time, I'm like, I'm just going to grow it out. So this has taken like a year or something. I, I eat a lot of the collagen that I made real popular. So um, my hair grows really fast. But so this is, I don't know, maybe a year's worth of, worth of growth from it being much shorter. I had the side shaved like a CEO hawk before this. Um, and so I'm like, I don't know. Now I'm evolving hair instead of just chopping it. So may, maybe like I'll become it. enlightened when I have a ponytail down to my butt. What do you think? I, well, we'll uh, we'll do another show and we'll, we'll update the situation, and then all of a sudden it'll just be this wave of long hair everywhere. You know, you mentioned something that um, I was thinking about this myself. I'm working with um, this doctor, and I she was telling me something, and I and many times along the way she's really been very tuned in and said things that I wouldn't think she would have said um, already, foreseeing the future in different ways that end up being right. And I, and I think that there's just something to like someone being able to move the needle is someone that's intuitive, actually. It's not necessarily always, I don't, I mean, yes, intelligence is important. Um, uh, comprehension, um, being able to create patterns and things like that. There's some, some things that intelligence is really does play a role, but I'd say above all else, intuition kind of trumps everything. 100% agree with you. In fact, I think one of the reasons that you do as well as you do on the racetrack is that you're seeing the future and you're <laughs> reacting before it happens. It's the only way you can do things at about a sub 240 millisecond response time. Is there any, any possibility that's true? 
I do. Um, I remember like specifically being quite ahead of something. I was at Michigan, um, which is this big two mile track, super fast. We're doing like we're in stock cars. We're doing like when it was a NASCAR race, we were doing maybe 220 at least, which is upper end for a stock car and Indy cars. We would have been more like 240 probably. Um, And I remember restarting and thinking and really feeling like this is going to get crazy. I need to be ready. And we we took the green flag, went around one and two, and it was complete chaos and like navigated my way through it and picked up like eight or 10 spots. Like it was this sort of, but I was like one of those times where I just really felt this, it's going to get crazy right here for a second. And so that was just one example. But I do believe that I really actually believe that even with the car, I thought it's funny you're mentioning this, even with the feeling of the car. It doesn't have to do something for me to know it's going to. So I think that when you're an athlete or anyone working at the higher echelon level of performance, I actually think that it is intuition. I I I don't think it's all just talent. I think it's I think you're 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 a beat ahead. You're you're seeing the future, like you said. Mm-hmm. I I do. I think that's a really interesting point. It's how I do some of what I do too. And. It- like you just, if you're a futurist, you know the future and there's a longer term and there's a shorter term. And one of my favorite sports is ping pong. <laughs> and you watch those guys and, and I play ping pong. I'm reasonably good, but those professionals, they're moving so fast. There is zero possible way. Mm-hmm. And I know because of the 40 years in neuroscience stuff, the P300D, which is the first time your brain gets an electrical wiggle, if you're at your level of performance, it's going to be about 240 milliseconds for normal people as they age, it's about 350 milliseconds. So your brain doesn't move until like a quarter seconds, but your body can move, but the body has to make the decision. So the body's really fast and relatively dumb unless it's trained. And that's where intuition comes from. It's a body thing. And then the mind gets the signal and then thinks about it after you already made the turn. And after the guy already returned that incredibly spinning ball, because the amount of time for the ball to traverse the table is under a quarter second. So there's no way that you could think what you were going to do with that. And if you ever play ping pong, if you stop to think what you're going to do, you will always miss the shot. And if you just allow the paddle to move, you'll make the shot. Does that sound familiar? Exactly. You can't think too much. No. Um, so what are we working with? Let's like, this is obvious. Uh, this is a different little little conversation, but I'm fascinated with this stuff because I'm really fascinated with what reality is and what we're working with and what, and I think if you, if we can answer the question of what's real, what's not, what is the, what are actually the, um, what are, what are the rules that we're govern govern under actually? I think we'll know how to live our life better. So what do you think is at play here? Like, what do you think is actually Ooh. happening? All right. This is going to blow your mind. There's a really <laughs> interesting book. I mean, I've had three copies today of Danger Copy, and they're the dangerous kind. You can see because it's not oh, dark. Nice. So I'm, I'm vibing. Let's go. What does your cup say? Oh, the best. It says, do stupid things faster with more energy. Oh, my God. I love that cup. <laughs> All right. There's a book, a little known book called The Case Against Reality, and you should listen to it. And what it is, is a guy who's either a philosopher or a quantum physicist. And funny enough, it's hard to tell the difference between those two in academia. Yeah. 
And he goes through every possible math, science, philosophy, and moral case you can think of to say that there is no actual reality that we can detect. And it's provable because of evolution. And here's why. In the heart of Napa Valley lays Somnium, which means to dream in Latin. The Somnium Vineyard Estate is an extension of the love and intensity that I pour into everything I do. To experience our wines, visit SomniumWine.com and use the code Somnium to receive a $10 flat shipping rate. Please drink responsibly. If I offered you a life-size map of LA, would you be able to use it? No. Well, what makes you think that what you see and smell is reality versus a map of reality? Is this playing into the thought that we are a simulation? No, it, no. it could support that. Whether or not it did, it, it doesn't even matter. It, the point is that whatever we are sensing is provably not reality. There's a species of bacteria that can detect 27 different types of electromagnetic frequencies that we can't. Is it sensing reality or are we sensing reality? Hmm. And even better yet, you pick up your phone, by the way, it says I choose danger on my phone right there, but <laughs> you pick up your phone and you say, okay, I'm gonna open my email. You're not going through and going, what I'm going to do is have an electrostatic interaction of my finger in the screen. I'm going to send some electrons through a chip and then go through a TDMA network and all this stuff and go to a server. Yeah. You just know you checked your email, but you didn't check your email. It was an interface yeah, yeah. to a reality that you couldn't possibly see or create. Yeah. So what the author of that book, um, The Case Against Reality, says, and I think he's right based on what I see at 40 Years of Zen and a bunch of other stuff, he just says, look, evolution designs you to have a user interface on reality that's fit for purpose to keep the species alive. So we evolved our eyes to see the stuff we needed to see, but we don't see the colors that bees see to identify flowers because we didn't True. need it. So we threw it away even though it's reality. True. And we evolved a sense of smell that's good enough to smell someone who's sexy and smell food that's bad, but we didn't need it to be as good as a dog who wanted to go smell butts, right? Because we didn't need that, right? Because we don't communicate through scent the way dogs do. Yeah. So we threw away our ability to smell because it was a waste of electricity. So our, we're fundamentally lazy biologically. Our cells don't want to waste electricity on things that don't help us, but our whole map of reality, it's literally like apps on your iPhone. Nothing we see is what it actually is. It's a representation of what it is that allowed us to better reproduce and survive. And I think that's right. And it's amazing because what it means is you can install new apps on reality. So you can go to the app store and say, I want to get a different app and then you can do stuff. And that means that when you do neurofeedback, when you do meditation, when you do breath work, when you go into the flow state that you have to be in to pilot a car at 240 miles an hour and not die, you're using a different lens on reality. You opened a different app that let you do it. And what we're doing now is we're exploring all of those possibilities to see what humans are capable of. And we're finding, holy crap, they figured this out 5,000 years ago. They're called yogic siddhis, S-I-D-H-I. Mm -hmm. And these are mapped out things that humans are capable of. And what mm -hmm. I'm looking for is what is the electromagnetic signature of that coming off the brain? Because we can measure that. 
I've got 1,500 high-performance people's brain scans. They come through, and this is one of my companies, come through, spend five days becoming higher-performance people, and most of it is around throwing away useless apps and turning off notifications because your brain is a lot like that phone. So if, if you have all these notifications popping up all day long, you can't even use your device anymore because everyone wants to notify you of everything. So you turn all that stuff off so you can have sanity. Meanwhile, your ancient operating system looking for lions and tigers in the environment and looking for famines is like eat all the pizza and run away from anything else that you can't have sex with. Like that's happening in your, in your tissues before you can think about it, provably before. So what if we changed that sensing network so it was looking for good stuff? So it would automatically do what we wanted and find what we wanted because we know that what we see isn't a full map of reality because it can't be a life-size map. It's just a representation that we get to go where we want to go. That's what I'm working on. So what are, I mean, that's fascinating. Yes, blowing my mind and everyone else listening, I'm sure. Um, so what are we? Hmm, that's a tough call. I want to I want to hear your thoughts and I'll share mine. <laughs> I'll give you a minute. Um, well, what I'm hearing you say, just and like the first thing that coming to mind right now is that we're electrical beings. Like that's just so we're just sort of a wiring and firing network, um, which is where water comes in as a conductor and all these things. So we're a wiring and firing network. I think look at you download stuff. <laughs> yeah. I'm just okay. watching you do this. This is cool. Yeah. Um so I think that we're, I think we're, we're connected. We're, we're part of this sort of fabric of the universe, this quantum entanglement to everything. Kind of like the body is all interconnected. It might not be directly connected, but it's all connected. Like, and we're part of this interface network, this wiring and firing network of the universe. And that is our consciousness. And this is sort of an electrical meat bag that, participates in this third dimension reality. I love it. An electrical meat bag. Um, very so, elegantly put, Danica. Yeah. That, well, I, you know, I, we got to go from quantum entanglement to meat bag. You know, we got to keep it off. It, it's, it's, I would say there's an, a good argument that our, our biology is a hundred percent provably electrical sometimes. It's also photon based your DNA makes one photon every 40 seconds. Your mitochondria actually makes a lot of photons and your gut bacteria makes thousands of times more than that. So there's communication with light. There's also communication with chemicals and okay. there's communication with the electricity and very likely communication with magnetic fields, particularly between the heart and the brain. And we can measure the magnetic field coming off your heart. It's tilted eight mm. degrees to the left and it's shaped like a big, uh, a big Taurus. Advisor in the early aughts to the company that had the first software to do that, the first device. So you can actually train yourself to have um, a higher power level with your the field around your heart, which is funny because it's also shown that when a human walks into a stall with a horse, the horse's heartbeat patterning will shift to match the person's. And this is why tweakers can't ride horses. If you go in there full of anxiety, the horse will buck you off. And if you go in and you're like, I am one with the universe, the horse is like, I love you. And then you can hop on. My friend has a two-second inter intermission here. My friend who's very psychic and intuitive and very, um, she, she said that horses live 20 seconds in the future. So there you go. 
Oh, interesting. I've never heard that. I, I totally would believe it. Although yeah. that doesn't explain why a frog will make them buck and run away. Like you'd think they'd see the frog 20 seconds ahead of time. Stupid horses. <laughs> Blind spots. Okay. So the horse, so the horse, you're talking about a horse. Well, well so the, the horse is reading the magnetic field of the person before they're even touched, just in the stall. Humans do the same thing. So when I go and I'm on you know, Tony Robbins stage in front of 15,000 people backstage before I do it, am I doing the exercises that make me have a big ass heart field? Yeah, of course I am. So that I can connect better with the audience. Mm-hmm. And, and you said something else interesting about intuition being a driver. I just had a guest on my show named uh, Joy Martina, who's a uh, intuitive and psychic and a therapist. And she just said, straight up, intuition's a muscle. It's like you can yeah. train intuition. Mm -hmm. And if you work out your intuition, it gets faster and faster and bigger and stronger. And I think that's true. And I think that because I know quantitatively, you can train that field around your heart. And I know that when I train my brain to go into these states, so let me turn off notification uh, using neurofeedback, it also affects the field around the heart. So the question is, Danica, where, I don't know how many, where are you in the world right now? Scottsdale. Okay, so you're in Scottsdale. Um, I'm up in uh, Victoria, British Columbia, so we're 2,000 miles apart or something like that. Well, we know that fields continue forever. They just drop mm -hmm. off at a cube of the distance, mm -hmm. which means they get weaker and weaker and weaker. And then like, I don't know, it looks like a static, but it turns out the static is full of all fields ever created that could get here in time, if time's even real. So it's another great topic, <laughs> right? Uh, it, in fact, it probably isn't real because we created it as part of our user interface to reality. It's just an app we have installed. Damn the question then is, you know, are we connecting from a heart field when we're talking right now? Are we connecting because I'm seeing you over Zoom or are we connecting in the quantum information field? I have a question. Have you had... I'm sensing this like real spiritual wave. With, I don't know, just like something's happening. Something's shifted. I don't know. Okay. Um, generally speaking, in a timeline, I feel like you're entering this space really interestingly. Um, uh, and I'm very interested in it. So have you had readings? Have you had? Oh, dozens of times. I've, I've had, readings, I've had shamanic training. Like, like okay, I, great. Yeah. And I, okay. I, like 40 years of Zen isn't as is a digital mystery school. Like I teach people how to do this stuff. We have okay. psychics come in and get tuned up kind of stuff. So, okay. Maybe I'm just tuning into you. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty you. woo. Um, I'm also very digital and quantitative and I like to do stuff that works and I don't like wasting time. So Amen. I reject alkaline water outright, but structured water is the real deal. So there you go. Yeah. Great. I totally want to talk about water. Um, so when you get these readings or even let's say Reiki, like Reiki is something that can be done at a distance. I remember that I remember a long time ago getting a reading and I was like, oh, we should do this on FaceTime so that we can see each other. And the moment that she needed to tap in, she did what I did 10 minutes ago. I closed my eyes mm -hmm. and I tapped in. I, oh, I watched you do it. Yeah. I didn't look at you to go, um, hmm, so I'm not reading anything. I'm pers I'm I'm receiving. I'm becoming I'm actually becoming aware of the information in the field as opposed to learning it. So Do you know what you were doing? When you close your eyes, the amplitude and location of alpha brain waves in the brain 
changes dramatically. So if you want to have uh, people talk about oh, alpha waves, alpha brain waves are very common and very powerful, and they're nothing special unless they're organized in a certain way. But when you close your eyes, your alpha waves go up a lot, and you looked upwards. So if you look up with your eyes closed, especially focusing on your third eye, if I had ele electrodes on your head, we would detect you going into a very powerful alpha state, which huh. is why when I'm teaching people these neurofeedback things, uh, what I'm doing is I'm putting them in dark chambers because darkness helps and I'm teaching them these and then some things you do to make it even more powerful. But what you did to tap in was you just basically probably tripled the power of your alpha brainwaves. And if I looked at your brainwaves, I would predict we would see unusually strong amplitude of waves. I don't know how organized they'd be. And probably more than a little bit of a, a lower level brainwave um, that would probably be more organized than normal and because of what you do for a living, because you're highly intuitive. And I mean, I picked that up the first time we talked, like you're, you're paying attention to stuff. So, but that's happening in order to tune in. I do the same thing. I'm like, you close your eyes. I don't know if sometimes I do this, sometimes I do this and you, you kind of look up and then there's something you connect to. And that's why I said, look at you download. Yeah. Cause, <laughs> cause so here's the question. Have you just done that since you were a kid? Did you just know how to do that? Did someone teach that to you? Cause how did you get that skill? That's a, a great question. I mean, I can remember being in go-karting at probably, I started when I was 10, but I probably was, you know, 12 when I remember maybe doing it. Cause I just don't remember doing it right away, but I would sit there and just visualize perfect laps. And no one ever told me to do that. No one ever said, Hey, sit down and do some visualization techniques and skills. And I just decided I would visualize the perfect laps and I imagined the car, like it, the go-kart feeling exactly like I wanted hitting my marks exactly correctly. And so that's kind of the first memory I have of that. But I, I, I honestly, I can't know. No, no, I don't really feel like I've been taught even my sort of spiritual awarenesses to my own patterns of my being and why I am like I am. <clears throat> I mean, I have therapists, trust me, but it's never the breakthroughs don't happen with them. They happen on my own. They're a little spontaneous and they're sort of like a, there's a trigger. Um, but yeah, things kind of, yes, things come to me. So do you see like past lives and stuff like that? Or do you have readings of those? Sure. I actually was in Sedona this weekend and oh my God, um, I'm going there next week. <laughs> oh really? Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. I want to know what you're doing. Cause I want to know if I can come. Um, and uh, I was with this girl that I was mentioning is very, very, very tapped in. And I did a past life regression, but I done, I did it in a different way. I've had a couple past life or I've had one other past life regression. Um, and it was basically information coming at me and she tapped into the field and told me things and I'd ask questions and oh, that's um, cool. I, I like, like an Akashic records reading kind of thing. Pretty much. That's uh. what it felt like more like, as opposed to what I had this weekend, which was more of a past life regression that I did. So where was, you experienced the life. Yeah. Where I experienced the life. I saw the life. I told the story of the life as opposed to someone telling me a story. Yeah. And I was put into like a really, this is an interesting thing. I want to know what, what the science of this is because you're so well balanced between the two. So they took me into like a deep meditation, slowing my, slowing everything down. And I, I left, you know, I, I was, I, I was gone, but as soon as he asked the first question, I answered and I don't remember what was being said before that point in time. It was just sort of like a meditation to get me my 
me slowed down and tapped in. And, um, and so I asked him when it was over with, I said, did I miss a question that you asked? He's like, no, he said, you, as soon as I asked it, you answered. And I was like, whoa, because I was gone, but I heard the question and answered. And that's when I came to was like at the end of his sentence. And I answered the question, but I was gone before that. So where was what was happening with my brain waves at that point in time that I could hear him, but I wasn't coherent. Like I wasn't mm. with it. I wasn't present, but I was still hearing him. When you say you weren't present, were you unaware of your body? Yeah, I was like it was as if I felt like I was asleep. Okay, you were asleep, but but you you still felt like you were in your body. You didn't yeah. like dissolve um, into the universe kind of thing. No, I wasn't. I wasn't having sort of an out of body experience that I was like, oh, hang on a second. Let me come back into my body to, you know, rem you know, answer this okay. question. I but just was it's just blank. There was like it was like a blankness. And then all of a sudden the question was asked and I was like, answer the question. Mm, OK, so you were you had dropped into um, really the, the subconscious state, the dreaming state and the in neuroscience. And keep in mind, I'm not a neuroscientist. I just helped to develop like a neuroscience company, <laughs> but my training is not a neuroscience. I'm just very interested because I've been doing neurofeedback on myself for 25 years, which is why I can do a lot of what I can do. So there's a state that you're in when you're you're daydreaming, and when you're having a real dream, it's even deeper. And these are different levels and locations in the brain of what neuroscientists will simplify as the theta state, which is a range of things. But that's like saying, oh, you're listening to music that is in the C chord. Like, well, was it polka or <laughs> was it Metallica? Because those are kind of different, but they're both can be in the C chord, right? So what we don't really have good language because it's all complex math. So what you did is you dropped into a portion of the world of theta, which is a very big world. And that's the world of the subconscious. That's where you connect to the collective consciousness. That's where you go to see the Akashic records. And when I say to go there, you have to know how to play the right music for lack of yeah. a better word, the right patterns within that. Um, so you'll see people saying, well, I did some alpha or I did some theta and like, well, okay, like what song did you play? And I, I don't know. Well, that's cause that's the hard part. So you ended up installing that app, let's say, um, or using that app that allowed you to be at the very upper level of theta where you're dipping into dreamlands dissociative but you had enough alpha present that you were still able to hear and reply hmm. so where are we going as humans and are we returning or are we going somewhere new oh man that's a tough one um the most well some of this is just opinion, but it's opinion based on, yeah. you know, math and science and, and also a lot of spiritual stuff and experiential information field theory seems to explain the world the most where everything is actually a field of information. So all the stuff that we see and sense, including time, including our bodies and all that stuff is representations of information. And there's some math that proves this. Uh, and it's the one explanation that explains a lot of even those yogic cities we talked about before that explains 
some of the quantum effects that we know are real. And this isn't like quantum. We're like, hey, let's do a quantum. Like quantum is misused all over the place in marketing. Do you have if you had any quantum prune juice lately? Because I'm sure there is some, right? <laughs> like, but in quantum biology, you get a PhD in this. It's a hard science trying to figure out how electrons behave in biology differently than they do in semiconductors. Like it's super technical stuff above my pay grade. Um, but information field theory explains a lot of that stuff. And it says that consciousness itself is a field. And ours just evolved so that when our field is in these meat suits, then um, we use the user interface that's in these meat suits. And there are some people who are atheists um, who are listening. I'm going to say, well, you know, that that's not true. There's no such thing as reincarnation. And I only get one, one time through. Okay, cool. Um, I would argue uh, that there's emerging evidence that that probably isn't true, but there's a very rational reason that you should believe in past lives. Why? Here's what it is. Okay. And this is why I chose as a computer science guy who was raised as an atheist. Okay. So I didn't have a particular, particular spiritual bent to what I did. In fact, I thought anyone who believed in anything spiritual was an idiot until I was about 30 and just had a few wake up calls. It's like, Oh, maybe there's something to learn here. Here's to being open-minded. There you go. Right. So if reincarnation is real, then I don't need to be afraid of dying because it's just starting the video game over again. It's inconvenient. Okay. Now I can live my life without as much fear so I can make better decisions from a state of consciousness and thought. Now, if I'm wrong, I won't know it. Okay, so I win either way, right? So it is provably stupid to not believe in reincarnation just because reincarnation as a concept creates more freedom in your life now. And if it's the only life you have, great. Welcome to more freedom. And if it's real, then great. You win. You cannot lose by choosing to believe in it, even with no evidence. So religion's a trap. I think organized religion has some serious, um, some serious limitations because what it's doing is, is installing a lens on reality that you didn't choose. And this is why mm -hmm. most religions are like, can we have them for the first seven years of life? Because after that, subconscious, subconscious programming. Yep. And then you can undo that. And that's a lot of what I've done. I spent six months plus of my life with electrodes on my head going in and turning off alerts that come from organized religion, that come from society, that come from pop culture, that come from bullies, that come from the best intentioned parents on the planet still yeah. screw up all the time yeah. because they're human, right? So you go through and you turn off all that. So the goal is to be as little emotionally reactive to negative things as possible. What I believe is that when we're in these bodies, in fact, I don't just believe this, I can prove it, um, mm -hmm. you're not the observer of reality, right? You've, you've heard this thing, the observer effect, Schrodinger's cats. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for, for people listening, um, if you have something that might happen, when someone pays attention to it, mm -hmm. it happens. And if they don't pay attention to it, if there's no observer, then it just continues being a possibility forever. And this is provable with like hard scientific uh, you know, radiographic paper. It, it, it's incredibly mind boggling. So I mean, if no one, if no one you know, hears the tree fall in the forest did it make yeah. a sound kind of thing, it's like Zen Cohen land, but it's real. So if that's going on and that's a part of our reality, remember earlier, 
I mentioned that your brain doesn't get a signal of reality until at least 240 milliseconds after something happens. Mm. So who's observing it? Who's observing it? It turns out the frontline observer with its own consciousness is a subcellular component of your cells called the mitochondria. They're not power plants in your cells. They're environmental sensors in your cells that sense the environment, then decide whether they're going to make electricity or neurotransmitters or sex hormones or inflammatory signaling molecules. Oh, you mean there's billions and billions of these things. There's between 500 and 15,000 mitochondria in every one of your cells that's not a red blood cell. So your body has way more of those than there are cells in your body. And those things were ancient bacteria that, well, I would say they moved into the cells that are us and took over 2 billion years ago and they're still driving the show because they sense reality, they decide what to do and then we take credit for it a quarter second later. That's the seed of intuition. It's also the seed of manifestation because they're the environmental sensors. They're the first line observers of reality. And when you see the guys from The Secret, many of whom I've gotten to know um, over the course of years, and you look at Napoleon Hill's work, you look at the way you visualize when you were 10 years old, you were manifesting the shit out of things, Danica, and you were using your mitochondria to do it. You were teaching them to program their interface to reality to look for success instead of to look for failure or lack of love or whatever the hell bad programming you got somewhere. So what I've had to do, probably because I had really bad programming, was go through and reprogram all that stuff so that my mind automatically and my body and my tissues and my cells and my mitochondria automatically look for the things I want in my life. I'm still working on that, by the way. <laughs> but Total work in here. Yeah, high five to the humility of it. So what are we? Well, you are still, from the language you're using anyway, identifying with your body. You're an entirely separate consciousness from your body. Your body has its own consciousness that is not you. And it does its own things without you being able to see it. It can change what you see because it's between you and reality. It can change what you hear and it can make you forget stuff. It can make you procrastinate and it runs an ancient operating system. That is not you. Mm. That is the platform that you run on. Mm. You are the consciousness that sits Mm. inside it. And some of your consciousness is in your brain and some of your consciousness is non-local. It's somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. So I still think it's fair to say what. So what is this then? What is that? Oh, that doesn't exist. Your body doesn't exist. Explain. Well, at the start of this. I'm going to get to actual biological questions and we're going to talk about coffee, but I think this all totally plays into it. Keep going. It it totally plays into it. So at the start of this, you were finishing your danger coffee. Okay. While we were talking some of your cells absorbed that danger coffee. Other cells shed the danger coffee and some cells on your arm decided that they were done with life and they jumped off (laughs) your body and became dust. What you actually are (laughs) is you're an eddy, like in a river, a little whirlpool. There's constantly matter coming in. You have, oh, about 30 pounds of air and some amount of food 
every day and you combine those to make electrons and you get building blocks from your food and you replace cells and you reject other cells, it's no different than water flowing down a river. And right in front of the rock, there's a spiral of water. And you go, look, there's an eddy. But there isn't an eddy. It's just a pattern in reality. And that's all your meat is. Yeah, because there's actually not, like on a subatomic level, there's not actually matter. In fact, I, I, I interviewed a physicist yesterday, and she said, we don't even know what matter is. No, it's mostly empty. In fact, no one can explain why your finger doesn't go right through your desk. Yeah, I, exactly. It, I would think that the scientist that figured it out didn't want to put his feet down next to his bed in the morning because he thought he'd fall through the ground, through through down to the bottom level. Like that you was. Should. And, and you so, know what? Do you know who Milarepa is? No. Um, he's uh, an Indian, we'll call him guru. Um, from I don't know how many thousands of years ago. There's a famous cave to go to. He figured this out, and he figured out how to modify himself. And there's handprints in the wall of the cave that he oh. did with lots of witnesses over and over. Oh my God! He like melted the stone. Okay, we're but without to get heating into- it up. He just exactly. was like, oh, this reality doesn't exist. Let me just merge with it. Let me just do it. That's but one of the yogic cities. You have to cities. believe it, and that's the hard part. Even when we're even no. working with, we're even working like down the levels, like to like other things that are more simple. You actually have to believe that you can do something. You have to actually believe that you deserve something. It, you actually have to believe, just like that, just like he had to believe that he could put his hand through the wall because the wall wasn't really what he what the wall was not solid. He didn't have to believe. Oh. He had to know. They're different. Okay. Belief implies doubt. Okay, I get. Yes, I get it. Yes, it's an just absolute... like wanting, and just like wanting implies not not having. Exactly. So believing implies it isn't reality. I believe this to be true is different than I know this. See how I edit my language when I'm talking to you? How I say no, I don't believe that. I know that because knowing and believing are different things. Drop the and mic. Now, even when I say no, there's always a chance that what I think I know is wrong, but Mm -hmm. that's a statement of belief. And what Milarepa was doing, as far as I understand it, was he knew it in his mind, which isn't that powerful, but he knew it in his entire network of mitochondria. So they were programmed to do that because they're the ones who had to say there is no wall here because his brain didn't even know there was no wall though till a quarter second after he touched it. Right. Because it's about programming your network of very powerful sensors and manifestors to do the shit you want instead of doing the shit they want. Because what they want is a simple operating system that's at the core of biohacking. And this is like original thinking after I wrote a book on mitochondria. All they want to do is number one, 10 times focus on this is fear. Run away from, kill, or hide from scary things because they're dumb bacteria individually. So they just run that all the time. Is that is that scary? Is that scary? Stress, stress, run away, hide, or or fight. Which is, gee, do we do that a lot in our lives? Yeah. And one of the things that is phenomenal about what you've done in your career, when you're driving really fast, most people are like I would so shit myself if I was going that fast. I couldn't possibly do it. And you trained your cells to not be afraid of death and to be able to do what they did and to handle it. And when people see it, they're just awe-inspired. And that's why we like seeing professional athletes be able to do things that are not possible. They're not possible with your brain. They're possible by knowing in your tissues, right? So that's fear. The second thing 
that your mitochondria are programmed to do without your knowledge before you can think is to eat everything. Mm. And this is why you look down like, God, I did eat the whole carton of Ben and Jerry's. What the heck? Who did that? Well, it wasn't you. <laughs> it was them. <laughs> and they convinced you very convincingly that it was a good idea to take each bite. It's this ancestral cellular memory. It's, it's subcellular. These are mitochondria. This is what bacteria do. Bacteria eat everything and they protect themselves however they need to. No matter what. Right? No matter what. And they do it in order. Protection first, food second. And what would the third thing all life has to do? That's also an F word. We have fear. We have food. We have. Fuck no. Oh my. Yeah, I, I got you with that one. It's fertility <laughs> is what I was thinking, but you're, you're dropping oh, F bombs right on your vein. own show. I'm in the right vein. <laughs> you're totally in the Literally. right vein. Literally. It, it actually is that F word. Um, I was <laughs> I always try to trick people into saying it, and it's funny. But you can say you fertility win. You if win. you want to be polite. You win. <laughs> it's, uh, and that's the third thing that you will do. And Danica, everything I've done in my life and everything everyone listening to the show has ever done in their life that they regret comes from ancient bacteria running that program in that order. And there's billions of them constantly doing it millions of times a second. And that makes a distributed intelligence that has a name. It's called your ego. The mm -hmm. ego is the operating system that keeps your meat alive and it is based inside your mitochondria. And that's why we procrastinate. That's why we go on dates we never should have gone on, but they were so hot, I just had to try it. And that's why I ate all the Ben and Jerry's and all of the things that we've done and we think we're bad people for. No, it's just ancient programming. So it's our job to use our mind that's very smart and stupidly slow to reprogram our body to do what we want, to find what we want in the world. That's the seed of manifestation is your tissues. So are you saying it's maybe even more important to train your bacteria than it is your brain? Yes. And your body doesn't even know you're in there. And when you show up and try and train your body, your body's like, who the hell do you think you are? I'm in charge of this meat. And if I'm not in charge of this meat, a tiger's going to eat us right now and it's an emergency. So let me distract you. By the way, are those nice legs over there? Hey, look at that pizza. Hey, don't do that. Oh, are you feeling itchy right now? Oh, it's really hot. And it will throw every single possible obstacle at you, including making you forget stuff so that you won't know that it's sitting between you and reality because that's its job and it knows that you will die if you're in charge of yourself. That's why overcoming your ego is so hard because the ego can make you forget stuff. And that's why when I'm doing those 40 years of Zen type programs, when clients come in, it's five days, 10 hours a day, electrodes on your head. And as soon as you come out of it, we interview them right away and they're writing stuff down. And there's a couple other people in the room that are witnesses because once you tell someone your dream, you can't forget it. But if you wake up and you have that dream, an hour later it's gone. Who do you think erased that dream? Your ego is like, hey, I was doing maintenance work and I was supposed to see that. Like, let me just let me just remove the evidence. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that makes sense because you're totally right. You wake up and you're like, oh wow, and you've got like a decent clear view of it. And then you get up and you're like, I've even thought to myself, oh, there's no way I'm going to forget this. And then I absolutely forget it. But if you sit, tell the story. Or if you write it down, you remember it. That's why journaling is so important. That's why writing goals is so important. And one of the things 
um, that I teach when I'm doing that side of teaching versus like nutritional stuff or whatever, when I'm doing the 40 years of Zen thing, is that that forgetfulness is so powerful that, well, if, if someone can make you forget it, how would you know it was ever there? So if anyone listening to this right now, if you have a sheet of paper in front of you and you have a pencil and you say, I'm going to carry this piece of paper around with me all day and every time anything good happens to me, I'm going to write it down. Even like, oh, look, that flower smelled pretty. I'm going to write down the flower, okay? At the end of the day, you could have 20, 30, 40 things on your piece of paper, okay? If you, the next day, don't have a piece of paper and you wait till the end of the day, you're going to maybe have three things you're grateful for. And this is how powerful the system is, okay? I mean, you've, you've written a, a big book, uh, and I've written now, I'm, I'm about in, in March, I'm publishing my, my fifth book that mm-hmm. will be a New York Times bestseller. And, well, on my third book, I got the call from my publisher that every author wants to get. And the publisher says, Dave, congratulations, they just released the list, your book is on the list. I'm like, this is amazing. You told a couple of friends, people in the company. Night comes around. I'm like, oh, I'm going to like name three things I'm grateful for. Guess what I forgot? You forgot the book. I forgot that I hit the New York Times list. The Times list. And how could you possibly forget that? It's not because I'm a bad person. It's not because I'm stupid. It's because I have the same operating system of everyone on the planet that makes you forget good things and focus on bad things because you have to know about the first F word, fear, because something might eat you right now. So if you have a forgetfulness system, then you need to make a remembering system. And part of that is training your brain so you spend less time in fear, so you can spend more time in consciousness, and then journal it, write it down, put it in your phone. And having a gratitude practice that's not just end of the day like I do with my kids, but is something that you do throughout the day and one that is written down at the end of the day. You're like, damn, today was a good day. And if you don't do that at the end of the day, it's, oh, someone cut me off in traffic and you know I ate two donuts instead of one and I'm a bad person. Whatever weird internal notification-based childhood programming dialogue you have, it's all bullshit. So the cells forget where we came from because it makes us scared. Well, they want you to maintain an alert state because from this perspective of a little bacteria driving a cell that's part of this big thing, all they know is that there's some other bacteria around and they talk to each other via something called mitochondrial quorum sensing. And they know that they have a Petri dish, which is you, and that they can control it. You're a remote control vehicle for them. And they know that if something eats their Petri dish, it's probably the end of all life on Earth. Because they do not understand context. They don't know there's billions of people. They don't know there's abundant food. They don't know anything other than what a bacteria knows. Because they are not. They don't have enough computing power. They don't have enough brains. They don't have enough sensors. But when you put quadrillions of these things together, they can form a picture of reality. But it's one that only includes what they think they need to know to survive. So the flaw in humans is that we're way more fearful than we need to be. And that's why we do all the bad stuff to each other. And that's why, you know, we have government shutdowns and global wars and, you know, narcissism and sociopathy and all that. A lot of that comes from just ancient, ancient cellular programming. And we can reprogram that. And I know that because I've done it to myself and I've done it to 1,500 other people now. And what you see is massive shifts in where the brain allocates electricity. 
So you come through and the fundamental technology, Danica, that allows reprogramming and turn off notifications, it's a really amazing technology. And since I'm on F words, it's also one. It's called forgiveness. <laughs> so something bad happened <laughs> once and your meat operating systems like it might happen again. And if you can be like, that grudge is dis, it's, it's dysfunctional. It's not helping me anymore. It's not keeping me safe. Maybe I'll just turn that grudge off. Well, it, it's not like there haven't been religious sages teaching forgiveness forever. And that almost every religion and spiritual practice out there has that as a part of what they do because it allows you to spend less time in fear and more time in the fourth F word I haven't mentioned. Oh, so in order, fear is most powerful, then food, then fertility and friend and friend is the We're first really good one so yeah, got fear food fucking friend there i said it but wait i thought forgiveness was forgiveness one of them uh, it just happened to match his network forgiveness works. is got a it. technology that allows you to spend more time in this because okay. all cells all bacteria all zebras all trees they all run the final thing which is be friends with what's around you. Support others of your species and support other species. This is why bacteria make yogurt. <laughs> this is why kombucha has that weird floaty thing in it, the SCOBY. Uh, and this is why animals will make a herd or humans will make a tribe. This is why without thinking, you will step in front of a car to save a child that's not your own. You don't have to think because your mitochondria know that's what you do to keep the species alive. And then we call it courage. But what it was, was just stepping out of fear and letting your body do what it's wired to do. So we're wired to be kind to each other. We're wired to support our society, to support each other, to take care of our elders. But we will not do the fourth F word if we're stuck in fear, yeah. in hunger, or lack of love. So you yeah. go through those because you get those. And you're like, well, what do you know? Now I can actually serve others in a really meaningful way. Thank you. That was... I loved hearing that. And it made me think of something that I experienced in this sort of out of body, ex out of body experience. And that's that um, love is all there. It's like the, the overwhelming feeling of love. And that ultimately to cut to the chase is that no matter where I'm at and what I'm doing or how far I stray from anything, like it's always okay. And that there's no need for forgiveness because there wasn't even a judgment in the first place. And so I don't know if that resonates. And I wonder if forgiveness and retraining your brain gets you on the path to then not being triggered. There's no more ego alerting you to danger. And then when something happens, it just happens. There's no judgment. There's no need to forgive. There's no need to forgive them or yourself. And that things just become thing. It's just things happening. Wow. I, I love where you're going with it. We would have to define forgiveness. So most people, when they hear forgiveness, they imagine going up to someone who wronged them and saying, I forgive you. Right. Isn't that like what you would think it would yeah. be? Yeah. It's not. Yeah. So forgiveness is simply the energetic and cognitive act of letting go. It's setting down a grudge that's harming you and not harming the other person. You can tell someone you forgive them. And also, like, I've had people come through the program who've been terribly abused in all sorts of ways we're not going to talk about on the show. 
but the worst ways you can abuse people. They're not going to go and say, hey, everything's good, buddy. No, they're just like, I have let go of all trauma from this. I have forgiven the person internally and the person's a bad person and they're not a part of my life anymore because I'm smart. Mm. (laughs) Right. That's okay. It's not them. It's not telling someone I forgive you. There's not that's not releasing the tension. You do it yourself for yourself. Yes. And it's not condoning whatever someone did because people do bad stuff out of that first F word fear usually. So, okay, that person did something really bad, but I'm done with it. And I I remember the first time I saw Mm. an example of this was before I had had built this into the practice at 40 years of Zen with the computers helping you reach those states. Um, I was just flying um, to somewhere in Washington, D.C., and I was sitting in first class and there was this old guy sitting next to me, probably at the time he must have been like 30 years older than me. And I was like, ah, oh, what do you do? You know, you're bored on an airplane. This is before we all had your your buds in. He goes, Oh, I work for the CIA. I'm like, really? Like, tell me about it. Like, that's amazing. And he's he's like, Oh yeah. And he tells me tells me stories. He says, Oh yeah, I was tortured actually three different times. But it stuck with me because of the way he said it. It wasn't like Oh yeah. I was I was tortured and and so many bad things happen. And I, I'm brave. I'm going to talk about it. I heard someone call it victim porn, where like people sort of will repeatedly re-traumatize themselves by telling their story with tears in their eyes. And it can be really addictive to watch that, but it isn't good for the person telling it or the person hearing it necessarily, unless it's to connect with empathy. But when this guy told me, it was just so matter of fact and curious and completely non-traumatized. Yeah, unattached unattached. So what you'll find is if you want to really truly forgive something or someone, because sometimes, you know, your tissues are stupid. They can be mad. If someone beat you with a belt, they can be mad at the belt and seriously doing what we call the reset process. Um, and the reset process is something I'm going to teach at my biohacking conference in September in LA, by the way, you should come. And so the reset process is, uh, it's a, a forgiveness thing you can do and you can forgive an object that your body feels wrong to you. And it's so weird. Some people, okay. Like if someone spanked you with a belt who shouldn't have when you were little, every time you see a belt, if sure. you're paying attention, you'll feel your heart clench a little bit. Sure. And you'll feel that the hairs on the back of your neck and you'll just see like a little bit. And if we were measuring you digitally, the conductance of your skin, the electrical flow would change and your body would get ready to fight yeah. or to flee or to freeze. I get, even just like, I mean, I have a CGM on and like, you know, you can get mad and all of a sudden your whole body is informed quantumly. Mm-hmm. That there's stress in and your whole body. Now, now all of a sudden this little drop of blood goes, Oh, um, your blood sugar goes up. Like the whole body becomes informed. It's fascinating. It's super fascinating, right? So you want to run the reset process. So the next time someone, you know, puts a belt on in front of you that you don't have a subtle stress response. Now you can do this. Most of my clients are like successful entrepreneurs, um, you know, celebrity types, um, who are looking for the next level of performance, but they all have stuff like this because it's just part of being human or of mm-hmm. just a subtle fear of heights. You're like, I know that I'm safe. So every time I'm near an edge, I just man up and I just do it, but it costs you energy to just man up. Yeah. Wouldn't it be better if there was just nothing triggering you in the first place? Yeah. yeah. So, so the reset process, uh, we do it with electrodes on your head, which act almost like a lie detector and they guide you into this very specific state. 
And what you do is you take the person or the thing who wronged you and you sit them across from you and you close your eyes and you know, you're, you're doing this. It's better to do it in the dark, but at least with your eyes closed. Um, and you put the person sitting in a chair across from you and you look at them and you say, you don't have to say it out loud, but you, you say, all right, here's what you did. Okay, and it has to be a specific thing. And it can't be like, you were a monster. It has to be so you. So is this you and the person as a practitioner and a patient? Or is this it, you it, as a patient? You can do it by yourself. Or is it an imaginary person sitting it's, across from you? It's imaginary. So literally, like, let's say that, you know, your, you know, your, your dad didn't give you dinner when you were seven and you're still pissed about it. Honestly, this, this kind of stuff happens all the time. Sure. Because it doesn't have to be big. It just has no. to be memorable. <laughs> In fact, everyone has work to do on their parents, even if you had great parents, because like something, something always happens that made you mad as a kid that your parents didn't even know made you mad, right? Because mm-hmm. kids are all emotion and not a lot of thinking in there because their brains aren't formed. So you, you just, you remember this and always stuck with you, right? So it just, or it just popped in your head. So mm-hmm. I'm just choosing an easy one. And then you say, okay, so you mentioned, well, what your dad kind of look like? So you close your eyes, you're here, and your dad's there. Dad, you know, you denied me food uh, when I was little. So first is, what did they do? And the second is, how did it make you feel? Mm-hmm. Right? And then you say, it made me feel. Okay? And then when, when people are in the chambers doing this, we have these specially designed um, chambers to create more calmness, then you actually go in and you feel as much of the anger and pissed offness as you can channel from that time. Kind of like you did in the regression you, you did, like with past mm-hmm. lives. You actually, you feel it. It's all feelings. It's not thoughts, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it should then, be visceral too. I mean, you should feel it. Oh, should, super you visceral. You, feel it in your skin. you can start crying. You can start sweating. Your yes. heart can start racing. It, it, once it's visceral, then you know. Yes. And with electrodes on your head, we can yeah. tell with your brainwaves whether you're faking or not because your ego may, may tell you that you're doing it when you're not. And we're like, ah, you got to change your brainwaves too. And they're like, oh, fine. So then you go and you, you actually really feel it. And that's the hard part, feeling it. Yeah. And then there is another state that happens and that's where forgiveness starts. And in the reset process, the important thing is gratitude. So you cannot forgive a thing or an event or a person or even forgive yourself until you find gratitude for the bad thing. And this is the thing that's missing from a lot of forgiveness literature. And this is provable that this is like core 40 years as in uh, oh 101. God, that resonates super deep. Yeah, that's true. Right. So like, okay, let, let's say, and I'm going to make it a little bit personal. Um, so let's say that, you know, you might have been in a fender bender on a track sometime that maybe was a little bit tough on you. Sure. M- maybe happened, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So let's say um, something like that, um, you know, left a mark. Like, okay, I'm going to give, forgive myself or the car or the track or, you know, whoever didn't change your tire, ride, Whatever the heck, you know, internal dialogue you have going on, whatever feels like you should do and maybe all of the above. Right. And you do that. And then what's one good thing that came out of that fender bender? Yeah. You knew you learned something, you learned there what you not go. to do. You learned who not to trust mm-hmm. something like and, that. And it doesn't have to be something big. It can be like the simplest, dumbest thing. Like literally it could be, well, you know, I've had people say, this is the worst day of my life. And I'm like, do you saw both your legs? And like, yeah. I'm like, it wasn't the worst day of your life. <laughs> so be thankful you have both your legs after this. Like, just move on. Find a good thing. Because mm. in, your, in your automated, like, operating system, your, your ability to hold a grudge and be grateful, you cannot do it. So that tiny spark of gratitude 
is the thing that starts the fire of forgiveness. And then forgiveness is something you do and it's a feeling in your heart and it's a specific brainwave. Mm -hmm. And I'm using the tech to guide you into the right state. Mm -hmm. And it's similar to a thing you can do with a therapist called EMDR, where they'll also love EMDR. Okay, me too. EMDR is powerful. And I, anyone listening, if you have a trauma that you know about, you can go to EMDR and it'll be better in like one or two sessions. Yeah. You know, it, it's not the same as, as the reset process, but the similarity with EMDR is you go into the state of like, ah, like that's icky. But there's another state that's the opposite of that. And when the body says, wait, I cannot possibly have been as much of a threat as I thought I was, because I just experienced this exalted spiritual state of heart openness and beauty, and, and I just experienced gratitude. So then it realizes my programming was wrong. I had the wrong threat detection system. Let me just erase that. Yeah. And when it's erased, it's actually gone. Yeah, I, I, I look at it almost like time travel. It's like time, it is time travel, travel back to the time and you reprogram the event. You've done a ton of personal development work, Danica. You're interesting. Yeah. Like it, it is that, but most people don't say it's time travel. Um, but yeah, you, you go back and your body doesn't really know about time because it's a bunch of dumb bacteria in there anyway. So <laughs> they don't know. And here's the weird thing. When someone does those five days of this, is like just deep, it's meant to replace decades of meditation in five days, which is why I keep using it as an example. Cause it's, it, and I can see the numbers. Um, when they're done, they're like, oh my God, I am so different. This is amazing. Mm -hmm. But then six weeks later, they're like, yeah, it wasn't, it, it was awesome. It, it made a, made a difference. You know, I, I still remember it was really good, but I feel like I'm myself again. And then you ask their spouse or their friends, like, are you kidding me? Like you're a completely different person, mm. but already what's going on is it's, it was just you, but more you and your memory of every event once you do a forgiveness process, your memory is no longer emotionally charged. So that's why that CIA guy could look at me and go, yeah, I was tortured because he'd done, he done his forgiveness yeah. work. Yeah. God. But you and like Joe Dispenza need to like, because you guys are both so spiritual, but yet so into I science. Love, I love Joe's work. He's He's been on my show. I'm going to go do one of his events coming up here. I just had dinner with him and some of his his uh, inner circle supporters um, uh, like last month in San Diego. Oh, Okay. Um, I love Joe. Do you do? He loves wine. Joe? He loves his wine. Oh, he sure does. That's, in fact, that's the only time in the past. Honestly, I think the past ten years, I've had four glasses of wine because it was. Yep. That Did good he of make wine. you chug one to like I open chug, your heart? Not that kind of wine, man. That was like I forget. It was wine that was uh, probably older than I was. It was really good. Yeah, he loves his wine. He's. I just. You guys are just striking sort of like um, approaches and states of being where you are all into the analytics, putting the skull caps on, reading mm. brain waves, but yet still so tapped in and so much awareness for the spirit realm and also just kind of the spiritual or the more metaphysical realm where how we go about our lives in the best way possible to create the most amount of joy and happiness and um I just think that you guys, I, I, I'd love, like, it's almost like when it feels like when the two people get together that are in sync, it's like a spiral. In fact, this is actually how I see like future relationships is mm -hmm. that two like really sovereign people and like really in their, in, in their flow state all the time come together and it creates like vortexes almost of like energy. And that's sort of 
that's like next level human beings in my opinion but we we can all get there uh i would argue that some people maybe have been around a few times more than others i would say being around is in that reincarnation conversation we had earlier there are some people who are born when they're 10 years old they just naturally know to visualize success even though no one told them to gee i wonder where that came from right I totally thought the same things. I'm like, how do you explain old souls? I just, how do you explain old souls? How do people just know how or what to do something or like a prodigy that knows just how to play the piano or how to write music or how to do art, like or any of those kinds of things. It's like, how do they know? You know, when you reach these advanced states and I'm not saying I've reached all of them by a long shot, uh, but I've, I've seen enough and experienced enough. There are people out there who can say, oh, yeah, in that life, I had this skill. Therefore, in this life, I do. And as soon as they have an awareness of a past life, like all of a sudden they can do stuff they couldn't do before. They're, they're tapping into stuff. And it's it, it's it's just a more complex world than we think. And the danger right now, Danica is that there are uh, a group of people who truly believe that we are meat robots and that everything that we are is is in our in our skull and i don't think that matches reality they're and, reptilians aren't they well i, I don't know that that's one lens on reality um, but you know maybe maybe we just call them reptilians and they're you know ai you know, constructs from the fifth dimension, who the hell knows, right? I don't have to label them. And maybe they're just misguided people, right? I, I don't know, like, like it, it could be any of these things and, and we all see different things in different ways. But um, there are people who are out there saying, you know, we're meat robots and, you know, a calorie is a calorie. It doesn't matter where it comes from. It's okay to destroy our soil and our planet. And it's okay to lie to people and tell them to eat fake vegan food and convince them it's healthy just because we'll make more money. It's okay to buy all the farmland and then to stop using it to make food right in the middle of a food shortage. And they do that because they don't value the human spirit or the human soul. And they don't even believe it exists because they think we're meat robots and that when you die, you have to you know freeze your body because this is your only time around. They may be right, but honestly, guys, could you just hear the thing I said about reincarnation? Just decide it's real, and then you can just stop all that shit. <laughs> Thank you for connecting that loop back around again, because like just it's almost like when people have it's like trying to it's like a it helps you live your life better. It's like anxiety. People that are worried about something that might happen. It's like you can learn worry about it now and then when it happens. Or you can maybe never worry about it or just once. But for sure, you're doing it one extra time for nothing. You know, there's two things that really are just irritating. And one of them is worrying, right? Like I'm going to play this potential story of the future over and over. And the thing about worrying is it's coming from those ancient mitochondria programmed to look for that threat. But the more they look for it, the more they find it. So worrying is provably bad for your outcomes. Yeah. It, it's manifesting in a negative way. So you got to learn how to shut down the voice in your head. And I had all the critical voices and worrying voices and, and all that. I did enough, you know, shamanic training and meditating in the Andes and Himalayas and, you know, ayahuasca and 
Peru in the nineties when, you know, they actually told me Shit, like, that's ahead of the curve. Well, they, they actually, I, I was asking around and they're like, you're white. I'm like, yeah, I know, <laughs> but that's only for local people. I said, no, no, I've done my research. I really have come here and I I'm choosing to do this. And they found a shaman for me and all. Um, but yeah, that was before it was a tourism thing. And, uh, I actually think it's, it's a little bit dangerous to do it without the right supervision. Oh, it's always dangerous to do it. Yeah. Um, there are safer medicines out there. Um, like anyway, not to get diverged there. I was like safer medicines, like, um, Oh, like almost any of the other psychedelics. Um, so do you want, okay. Do you want to know like the order of options for altered states work for trauma healing? I would love it. Okay. Um, I gave this, uh, as a talk, I, I was with a group of really highly successful people looking at, um, extreme longevity, which has been an area of, of focus for me for, for a long time. And one of the guys I got up and said, you know, I have done 50 plant journeys this year and it's been oh, life changing yeah. and you should all do this too. I'm like, there's two billionaires in the audience here, right? These are people who control masses of jobs Mm-hmm. And in, to a large extent, they control some of the future because if you're a billionaire and you're like, I'm going to put $500 million into destruction of soil or saving of soil, it actually matters yeah. a lot more than my 32-acre regenerative farm, right? Like like the, they're moving the needle. Um, so I said, I got to give a talk after this. I said, guys, I, I have tried these things. I've done the trauma healing work. So here's what you do. <laughs> okay. Step one, do some breath work. I Just knew you were going to say breath work. I knew and meditation. And if you're not getting there fast enough, okay, step two, uh, maybe you should try EMDR, which we talked about just a minute ago, because it's really fast, yep. right? And if that doesn't work, then let's go lightweight. Try some MDA, MDA. which is Where's different than MDMA. It's without the meth part of MDMA. So MDA is more heart opening and less stimulating than MDMA. And if that doesn't work, do MDMA. And if that doesn't work, do ketamine, which is very safe. And I'm saying do this with a therapist. I did one of my podcast episodes. I went, I got injected with ketamine at a uh, at a psychiatrist clinic just to you know yeah. talk about what it does and, and to experience yeah. it. And if you're still not getting there, and ketamine is very powerful for forgiveness. I tried actually, it. Which, I've done you it. Tried it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would call it the forgiveness molecule. It's really good for forgiveness. <laughs> so you, you, and then okay, you're like still out there with ketamine. All right. Well, then maybe you could try LSD. And if it's not there, okay, mushrooms. Problem with mushrooms is you don't know what you're going to get. There's you know hundred different kinds of yeah. mushrooms picked from different sources, totally. and they some put a load are inward, on the liver. some are outward, some you know yeah. some are really strong, some aren't as much. Mm-hmm. I agree. I I love mushrooms depending on which ones I get. And so I just don't (laughs) like the variants there. Um, And when it comes to plant molecules like that, um, there's also like energetics. Like, was it picked under a full moon? Was it picked by like a very angry person? I think it matters. And so do the shamans who have taught me these things. So um, I just, I don't like the variants there, but LSD is relatively stable. If it's actually LSD, then it does what it does because it's it's a synthetic molecule. Yeah. And then after mushrooms, and then you would look at doing DMT, mm-hmm. then 5-MeO DMT. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've heard about that. I don't know much about the 5-MeO one. And they're, they're relatively similar. Um, 
but the EMEA is a little bit stronger. And if you still haven't got there, then you hop on an airplane, you fly to Peru or maybe Ecuador or somewhere where there's someone who has taken ayahuasca on a daily basis for decades. And he sits you down. I like that you're drinking out of a vial. That's excellent. Or like a beaker. A beaker. I'm, I'm kind of a nerd that way. <laughs> but you do that. And then they put you in a ring of stones and do a bunch of incantations and have you eat a special diet for a little while. And then they do the real deal. Because I remember when I did ayahuasca, the one time I did, I haven't been called to do it since then. Um, I, I went down there. I said, okay, look, I'm fine. And, and the person I was doing it with also it was throwing up and everything. And he'd given me a triple dose, uh, but I just, I processed, I didn't throw up. I said, I'm going to go for a walk. Like I'm, and he goes, no, you can't. And I'm like, look, I can touch my nose. I am not high. It wasn't hitting you. Right. No, it did hit me. I had, I'd had my experience, but I was just done with my experience. And so this was after it, it, I definitely had gone and visited stuff. Um, and I said, I am totally okay. I just want to like walk. And he said, do you see the ring of stones? And I said, yeah. And he said, those stones are there to keep things out because you are still open. And if yeah. you go outside that ring of stones, I will have to remove all the things that are going to stick to you. And that's a lot of work and I don't want to yeah. do that. Mm. Okay, that's a real shaman. The job of a shaman in a plant medicine ceremony with that substance is to keep all the bad malware out of your system that can enter which is why I recommend more caution with ayahuasca than I would with any of the other things in that order of operations. Oh, I forgot the one after breathwork meditation, MDR, tantric sex. You, you should do that before you start I'm going. I'm single, doing so uh, that one, I have to cross that one off the list. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, seriously, yeah. About 20% of people it will report in surveys of like having profound religious experiences during orgasm. Yeah. And their partner just sees them twitching and having a good time, but they're meeting God. So, mm, yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, that's a, yeah. a what a cool like hierarchy list. And you're totally right. Like ayahuasca has become so much more mainstream and dark people targeting famous and rich and powerful people with ayahuasca. And I don't think that that's always clean. Sometimes it is, but there's yeah. there's some stuff I don't I don't always like there, but there's also some good stuff happening. Yeah, yeah. Well. All I can think of is literally coming home, like in the middle of a ceremony, two nights, second night, midnight, wake up. We got to pack our bags and leave because the border's shutting down in the morning. Yeah. Oh, wow. That was how session, that was how night two ended. That's a big wake up. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah, that was a, I don't know. There's, a, I, don't, I don't know what the repercussions of all that was, but all of this makes me wonder about like replenishing about the food part, right? And the hunger. And so I had like all kinds of questions that I totally didn't ask you about, but we got to talk about, I want to talk about the coffee, but I want to talk about the, what is the, we're just, we're not even matter. We're just energy. Like where does food play its part? Well, it's the second F word is food. So fear and then food. And my most recent book is called Fast This Way. And mm-hmm. it's about when I fasted for four days in a cave outside Sedona, actually. Um, and I was dropped off by a shaman and I needed to be alone um, 
because I knew that I would be hangry and hypoglybitchy. And if I was somewhere, I'd probably eat something. So I'm like, there's no food, no people. I'm just going to have to face this. And this was around 2008. And I, uh, I did that and I couldn't believe how much energy and how much power I had. And I'm like, Oh my God, I thought I would be close to death after four days. But the reality was that I was energized and I could walk 10 miles uh, in the desert in the heat with a backpack and not even care. I was like so powerful and I, I use that metaphor throughout the book to teach people about intermittent fasting, which is gaining control over fear of being hungry. Because the thing about food is that if you don't have enough minerals in your cells, if you have the wrong fats, if you're protein deficient, if you have blood sugar regulation issues, it will trigger more cravings, but it will also put you into fear of starvation mode. Yeah. So if you want to be a more conscious person, you need to learn how to not be afraid of hunger. So but, is fear of starvation actually what spikes cortisol then because of the fear of starvation? It's part of it. So okay. some people don't have a fear of starvation and just fasting for a long period of time is a physical stressor. stressor. So stressor. that will raise cortisol if you just don't have enough food and you're exercising for a long time. That's normal and okay. healthy. And the reason for that is cortisol breaks down muscle to give you sugar. There you go. Had some blood sugar. Everyone's happy, right? Mm -hmm. So there's another thing, though, where a lot of people are like, oh, my God, if I don't eat and I feel hunger, I know that my body is going to go into starvation mode because I heard about that in the 80s from you know a nutrition magazine or something. So I'm going to starve. So fear of being hungry can raise cortisol, and it's a major issue. And when people do their first 24-hour fast, it's like they walked on coals at Tony Robbins or something. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did it. And the whole point is that you can do a 24-hour fast and you can even have a few things that make fasting not even painful at all. And all of a sudden, hunger goes from being an emergency to being, you know, I guess I should eat, but if I don't eat for another day or two, I'll be fine. Hunger is a gentle thing. And that's where I am as a guy who used to weigh 300 pounds, mm. right? I used to eat six or seven times a day and constantly snack. And now it's like, I don't want a snack. I wouldn't want to do that. But one of the underlying things that creates hunger is a lack of minerals. And right now, our soil has been depleted by over-farming. Oh, look at that. You have some danger coffee with minerals. Well, it's empty because I put it in my machine. Is that I'm why there's humic biomass and fulvic biomass? Yeah. So it, it, it turns out that your food is stealing minerals from your cells. If you're eating grains or even if you're paleo and you're eating nuts and you, you believe that stuff about beans and seeds and legumes making you live longer, even though it doesn't appear to be real. What one of the many things they do that you don't want is they are sucking minerals out of your cells, which means the cells can't do their job. Mm. We just talked about how the seed of consciousness, at least of the ego and of, of intuition is your cells. If your cells don't have enough of a trace mineral, they cannot do their job. And then they mm. panic and they go into hunger mode, and they give you anxiety. So much of our anxiety is because our cells didn't have what they needed. Our cells were hungry. And since all this manufactured, processed, plant-based food is sucking minerals out of our bodies via oxalic acid, via phytic acid, we need to do something about it. And the answer is not to eat more vegetables because the vegetables are grown in soil that doesn't have minerals anymore. The only thing you can do is add minerals. So now when you drink your coffee, Danger coffee has ionic minerals in it that can open your cell membranes, get into your cells. They can bind to toxins. 
And the coffee is, of course, mold-free because I'm the guy who, like, hey, mold is a thing. Because when you get mold, wait, doesn't mold make antibiotics which kill bacteria? Yeah. Are your cells powered by bacteria? Yeah. So when you get these mold toxins that are very common in coffee, and then you drink the coffee, and an hour later you're like, I jitter anxiety and I need some sugar. That's not caffeine. That's mold in your coffee. And you drink coffee without mold, and you're like, oh, my God, I feel good. I am afraid of normal coffee. That's why this is my second mold-free coffee I've launched in my life. I'm the guy who created Bulletproof Coffee, and this is my Feel dangerously good. Mm-hmm. I Can tell everyone. About- I tell everyone. If you want, if you, the most important thing, actually, I had a friend who asked, like, okay, where do I spend my money? Should I do this? Should I do peptides? I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, no. It's not really. No, I don't think so. She's like, what about? And she's like, coffee? I'm like, 100%. I'm like, Absolutely. And she's like, oh, really? I'm like, you drink it every day, literally every day. This mm-hmm. isn't something that you do for just a little bit or every now and again, every day. So yes, something that you consume every day should be the highest quality possible. And so I was like, the simplest thing is go get Bulletproof Coffee because you know it's clean. It's readily available. So thank you for making it readily available. I mean, shoot, I took a boat trip for my birthday, for my 40th birthday, and I put on the request list. I was like, bulletproof coffee because i knew that it would be clean coffee the whole time i was there for a week nice now this was before danger coffee came out or yeah well this uh, i mean i keep looking in the aisles for danger coffee right next to the bulletproof coffee it's not it's not in stores yet why it takes a lot of time to get grocery distribution and this is this is a really clean coffee the the price to get this grade of just flavor of coffee yeah. is almost as much as the retail price of most coffee at the store. So like this is okay. Yours is what? 15 bucks a bag for the, for Bulletproof and like how much, I is don't know one? what the Bulletproof is. I'm, I'm not involved with Bulletproof yeah, anymore. True. Oh, um, okay. I just don't track it, but I know like an average bag of coffee, um, even if it doesn't say mold tested anymore on it at the store, um, just from any kind of brand, would be somewhere between $10 and maybe $16, $17. And we pay more than $10 for what's in the bag. And if you look at what the minerals would cost you, this coffee is a a serious bargain (laughs) because trace minerals are really expensive as a supplement. So by building them into the coffee to make sure the coffee is even cleaner than it already was, you're getting like the most amazing coffee that tastes good with crema, but you're getting a huge amount of trace minerals that would otherwise cost you a Mm -hmm. lot more to get in your diet. So it's, it's meant to be, it's meant to be something that feels different, even if you drink it black and if you put butter and MCT in it, it's great. And you know, Bulletproof coffee is, is, good coffee. It's, you know, it's my baby. It's a company I created. And this is something different because it's danger coffee has minerals in it. And it's, it's a different grade than anything else that's out there. And you know, when you drink it, like it feels different, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've just started today, but I haven't ate and it's 1230. I haven't ate since like 530 yesterday. So nice. I'd say it's working. I would say. And yeah. I mean, look how, look how you're downloading stuff left and right. I'm, I'm just going to say it gave you psychic powers, right? Put that on the bag too. Gives you nice. psychic powers. I love that. I love okay, it. Okay, look, we've gone on and on. I've got to let you go, but I love talking to you. I, I'm super excited about this coffee, but more than anything, excited about what you're doing in the world. Truly. Uh, th- thanks, Danica. I am hoping to see you at the biohacking conference. 
And yeah. biohackingconference.com for people listening. Hopefully you'll be there September 15th to 17th in Beverly Hills. And if not, I'll swing by Scottsdale one of these days and we'll hang out. I love that. I love that. Thank you. We'll, we'll, we'll get some downloads. We'll All spiral right. our energy. There you go. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.